You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is deep diving into all things sleep. Today's interview is with Morgan Adams, who is a holistic sleep coach, and she answers a ton of questions that we got about various aspects of how we can improve sleep. If you're a night shift or if you're a shift worker, if you're a mom, like all these different things that can hinder maybe a normal sleep rhythm. We get into all of that. We talk about why sleep's so beneficial. We talk about taking a holistic route to improving your sleep. And so you're going to learn a lot in today's episode. And I'm so excited to hear what you learn. I hope you enjoy this interview. Morgan Adams, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. I'm really excited to take a full deep dive into all things sleep. Thank you. I am too. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of years and it's nice to be the one giving the information instead of the receiver of the information. So yeah, I'm so excited. Thank of you, course. Of course. So I always love hearing people's pain of purpose story. What got you into being an expert on all things sleep? What was your journey like with that? Definitely tell us what that journey was like. Yeah. Well, this journey to sleep coach, uh, did not happen overnight. It's sort of a bumpy road, but, um, I will start by saying about 17 years ago, I had a personal crisis in my life that led to a bout of insomnia. And at the time, I did not know what to do other than ask a doctor for their advice. And what I was given was sleeping pills. And I'll just, Ambien was a sleeping pill. I think everyone's heard of it. And I ended up taking the pills pretty much every night for about eight years. And it was because I just did not believe that I could fall asleep without them. And I did fall asleep pretty quickly, but the problem was that the next day I had a significant amount of grogginess in the morning. I don't think I was actually fully awake, like aware, like cognizant of what was going on until probably like close to noon. So that was a, that was a big drag. I also had a few, well, several occasions of eating at night um, and not knowing that I'd eaten the next morning like that. And it's a good thing I didn't get behind the wheel after taking the pills. So it was, it was a pretty bad situation. And about eight years into it, I uh, started dating my now husband. And he said to me one night, you know, when you take those pills before you go to sleep, you sort of become like a zombie. You're not the Morgan that I know. And that was like a real wake-up call because I had known for a while that these pills were not serving me. They were just a Band-Aid. And that was the real push for me to stop taking them. So what I did was something that I don't recommend people do, but I didn't know any better at the time. I just ended up taking myself off the pills, um, cutting them in halves and quarters. Um, but it was really difficult because I didn't have any support while I was going through that. And it was, it was not easy, but I, I managed to do it fine. And then I slept pretty well for, you know, several years after that, I wasn't like the best sleeper. And then March of 2020 hit. And like a lot of people, my sleep started to suffer. And I was 
worried because I did not want to go down that road of insomnia like I had gone down before. So I started getting on Dr. Google and, you know, getting more information about how to optimize sleep. I bought myself an aura ring. I started tracking very carefully and I was able to get my sleep back on track. And what I ended up doing during that time was just because I was so excited about the, the things I was learning, I would just share them organically on social media. And I came to find out that a lot of my circle was struggling with sleep too. And so they found it very helpful. So about a year later, this was probably, I guess, two years ago, late 2020, I had this revelation that I needed to become a sleep coach. <laughs> I just was like, this is what I need to do. I had known for probably three years after my first breast, or breast cancer diagnosis that I wanted to help people with their health but I did not know really what role that would be. I just was kind of like lost as far as like what that's going to look like. And I figured it out. I was like, sleep coaching is the thing. So then I had to kind of figure out, well, how does one become a sleep coach? Cause it's not a very common, you know, you've got a lot of people who are nutrition, nutritionists and fitness coaches, and it's pretty easy to find a track for that. So I had to kind of cobble together my own training and certifications to actually become accredited <laughs> to be a sleep coach. So it was kind of a long and bumpy road, but that is, that is how I landed where I, where I am currently. I love it. And so what, so I love how you mentioned that the sleeping medications that you were on were a band-aid approach. So what did you find to be the actual root causes for why you were struggling to sleep? Yeah, you know, I I never really dug that deep, but I think that it was just I'm I'm predisposed to some sleeping issues. You know, just I think some of it is genetic, and there's there's actual documentation that there is a heritability for insomnia. So I think I I had that predisposition, and then that personal crisis kicked it off, and it was just really just anxiety feeding me, and I was dealing with. Um, what, what we call hyper arousal. When I would get into bed, my brain would go into sort of a fight or flight state. And I just was like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. And I just was, you know, convinced. So um, that that's, I think, what was at the root. And I think that that is, you know, I mean, there's many, many different um, causes of insomnia, but in the population that I'm coaching, I'm seeing lots of anxiety as the root cause, but there are def definitely physical causes of it as well. Um, yeah. but for me, I think it was just that anxiety because I was generally a healthy, a healthy person. You know, I was mm -hmm. in my mid thirties, you know, in decent health. I don't think it was optimal health by any means. Cause you know, I got breast cancer a few years later, but it was, you know, I was eating decently and, um, exercising. So it wasn't like in my case, a physical, um, situation, but more of just, that anxiety just, mm. it was crippling. So the bed became as associated with a place of a lot of anxiety for me. And where do you think the anxiety was like stemming from? Cause I see so much emotional health or anxiety mood things. I see a lot of that stem from the gut. So did you find that that was the case for you? You know, I didn't at, at that point in my life, I really did not I was under sort of the conventional um, medical model. I was actually a pharmaceutical sales rep. So I was, oh, really? I, I really bought into the whole 
uh, pharma, you know, I was quite good at my sales job. I, you know, I could really sell some pills at the time. So, you know, I never made that connection between anything physical going on, but yeah. you, br- you bring up a good point because I have had some gut issues all my life. I've never had a really great gut and I'm always, and I'm continuing to work on it, but there is a chance that that could have contributed to it on some level. Yeah, for sure. That's super interesting. Um, so, so what were some of the remedies or things that you did that you found to be really successful along your journey? Well, the first, the first journey of getting out of insomnia the one 17 years ago, really, I, you know, I can't, I can't quite remember exactly what I did. I just remember, um, white knuckling it throughout, like, you know, going through the pill cutting process and just kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of dealing with it. And eventually my system kind of righted itself. Um, So I didn't, I didn't actually do any of the things that I coach my clients to do because I didn't know. I just literally had no idea. I was just sort of, okay, let's, we're, we're going on a wing and a prayer here. Hopefully, hopefully this will work. And fortunately it did. But um, hell, if I, if I had known about sleep coaches back then, I would have definitely called one up and said, Hey, I need some support and um, support doing this because it's not easy. It's really not. Right. No, it's it's absolutely not. And I think especially sleep is one of those things where I feel like people just, you just can get in your own head because then you are constantly just going through the scenarios and then thinking of things. And I'm thinking of so many people that I work with that I know struggle with all of this. Yeah. Rumination is a big problem. <laughs> Especially, you know, late at night when people are trying to fall asleep and it's like after midnight or they wake up, um, you know, at two. And I like to, I, this is kind of crude, but I like to tell people, you know, after midnight, your brain is an asshole. <laughs> don't listen, yep. don't listen to it. It's just, it's, it's your, the logical part of your brain is still sort of asleep, even though you're awake. And right. so you can't, you can't listen to those uh, ruminating thoughts and believe them because it's very tempting. I mean, we've all, we've all been there. Um, but so I, I relate very much. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay. So what are like, if we were to, if you started working with somebody and they are like, I don't sleep good. What are some of the questions that are going through your mind that you are making sure that are able to address to, you know, help understand maybe why. So maybe people listening can kind of go through this checklist themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of like call myself a, a, a sleep detective because <laughs> there's lots and lots of questions I ask. The first, the first things that I ask though are, it's kind of a mini health history. It's sort of like going to the doctor and, and, and answering those general questions about your health, because I want to know, you know, how their general health is, if there are any, you know, red flags, if they're taking any medications that could be contributing to their insomnia, because there are, mm-hmm. are actually a slew of them, of medications that can um, contribute to insomnia or feed it. Um, I'm also asking a lot of questions about their, their routine, their habits, like walk me through your morning, walk me all day, mm-hmm. walk me through your whole day up until you go to bed. Um, because what we end up discovering is that they've got some habits that are actually not sleep promoting at all. They're, you know, they're kind of wrecking their sleep. And um, then we fix for those. So it's a lot of, 
uh, coming up with a solid morning routine, an evening routine. I really want to find out what people's chronotypes are because mm. um, I think that's, that's a really important piece of the puzzle. I've, I'm very fascinated by the whole like chronotyping and um, you know, the world unfortunately is, is geared toward early birds and I'm, and I'm an early bird, so that's fine by me, but with people who are the, the night owl chronotype, their world can get pretty messed up, especially if they are required to be at work really early. So, you know, I want to find out all of the, you know, what their actual chronotype is and figure out a, a, a schedule to help them live in accordance to their chronotype. Ooh, could we um, talk about the chronotypes? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a, you know, there's a couple, there's, well, there's different ways of looking at it. There's sort of the early bird and the night owl. And I think everyone knows what those are, but then, um, there's a doctor named Dr. Michael Bruce, who actually has developed four chronotypes, the lion, the bear, the dolphin, and, oh, I'm blanking on the fourth one, (laughs) but, um, each chronotype has sort of their preferred, you know, natural um, wake up and going to bedtimes and productivity times. So when you, and Dr. Bruce has, you know, a really nice um, quiz. And I think the quiz is called the power of mm-hmm. So anyone can go, or you can just Google chronotype quiz and you can take your quiz and find out what chronotype you are. And then you can follow the suggestions according to, um, what your chronotype is. So it's, it's pretty useful. Do you find that it's accurate? Um, for the most part I do, it's not a hundred percent, but I think that, you know, using it for myself and some of my clients, I think it's actually really helpful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, part of me, I guess part of me is a little, I guess I question like the night owl and things like that. Cause par- I really think that that goes against a lot of circadian rhythm stuff, like, and how mm. naturally we would have ancestrally like been sleeping during yeah. those times. Like it would have been more like with, with the sun and the moon, like that's just how our circadian rhythms go. So I guess I get a little confused yeah. with that. Cause part yeah. of me, whenever I see someone that, like has a hard time falling asleep, I'm like, that's a circadian rhythm imbalance. Yeah. Like that's when your cortisol should be lowest. So, I mean, I, I, but I do see how we're not all the same. Like we don't all have the most energy in the morning. Some people are way more productive in the middle of the day or at night. And I, so I do yeah. see parts of it, but then I, yeah. I do not question, but I just, I'm curious. Well, he, here's a theory that a uh, sleep anthropologist um, threw out and it's, it's interesting. I can kind of, I can kind of buy into this. Um, I don't know the name of this person, but he said that, from a um, ancestral perspective, it actually served the tribe better to have night owls and morning larks because if everyone was asleep at the same time, if everyone had the same schedule, who would take guard of the property of the of the tribe? So I thought that was kind of interesting, and it does yeah. it does kind of make sense. So that could be a reason why some people, you know, like I think a, a you know it's definitely a minority of people that have that strong night owl tendency. Um, That's true. So just a, you know, just a theory, but I think it it does kind of make sense. No, Um, I, I, that is very true. You're very right. But yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, we are designed to live by the, those patterns of, you know, the sun rising and the sun setting, you know, we're just designed to thrive when we, 
when we live our life to, into, into that pattern. So um, it's very, very difficult for people who um, are very strong night owls and, mm-hmm. you know, having, like I said earlier, having to get up um, early for, for work. Um, the pandemic actually has, <laughs> has in some ways helped night owls um, because back when everyone was working from home, the night owls could kind of set their own schedule a little bit better. They didn't True. have to be up at the crack of dawn and they could, you know, get their work done and they could work into the evening and no one would know any, any different as long as their work was right. done. So, so they have, they've had a, you know, they got cut a break a little bit during the past couple of years. That's true. That is really true. And I, I, I do agree. Like the whole tribe wouldn't have been asleep. I just think so much of how my body flourishes on like a schedule and how it even changes like summer to winter. It's so hard for me to get up super early in the winter when it's so dark, whereas in the summer it's easier. So, I mean, that's why I'm like, oh, well, shouldn't we all be that way? But it's yeah. not necessarily the case. Cause I have quite a few friends that are, they thrive at nighttime and I was, I'm just not productive past six o'clock. Yeah, I'm just useless. Like <laughs> yeah. my husband for my birthday posted videos like I seriously would be acting like an intoxicated person and how I was acting because I've just I get so silly and delirious and he's like she's 100% sober and it's like I'm just useless <laughs> because then 10 oh, seconds yeah. later I pass out and I start sleeping so it's just funny how yes. everybody has those different patterns though I'm, I can 100% relate with you I mean don't expect me to do anything like productive or serious after a certain point in the evening it's just not going to work no, absolutely not. Um, okay. So can we talk about the sleep cycles? Because I know if there's so many people who wear the Fitbits or the whoops or aura rings and you see REM, you see light, you see deep and you're like, what does this all mean? What is going on? Yeah. So we basically have, um, four sleep, sleep stages. You've got N1, which is like the very light stage of sleep. That's like usually five or 10 minutes. That's kind of like when you're drifting off. And then you have N2, which is light sleep. And that is usually about 50% of our our total night. Um, Then we go into N3, which is deep sleep. And I'm sure everyone knows, you know, is is very attuned to that. That is a really important stage of sleep. We get, we should probably be getting about 20, 20, you know, 20% around uh, per night of our sleep. That is really when most of our bodily regeneration takes place. And so um, then we transition over to, the REM phase of sleep, which is the phase of sleep that is usually about 25% of our night. And that is the part of our sleep where we consolidate memories. Uh, We do our emotional processing overnight. It's sort of like overnight therapy. And that is usually um, when we dream. So we can dream in other phases, but towards the end of our night is when we get most of our REM sleep. And so towards the, the, like late morning, right before you get up, that's when you're getting like most of your REM sleep. So that's why we often remember our dreams. Mm -hmm. And then with our deep phases of sleep, that's sort of concentrated in the first half of our night, although we can have it throughout the night. So that's just a general, you know, um, kind of run through. We go through about four to six cycles a night. And what's interesting, I don't think a lot of people realize is that after each cycle, we briefly wake up. And we scan our environment and then we go back to sleep. And most of the time really? we don't even, yeah, we, it, it kind of goes back to, from, from what I've heard, where it's th- that primal part of us is scanning our environment for a threat. So we scan 
we realize, hey, there's nothing in my bedroom and we go back to sleep. So most of the time, like I said, we don't even have a clue we've awoken, but some, you know, we, sometimes we do. And that's why, you know, when I'm working with clients and we're setting up expectations for, you know, our goal, the goals. And sometimes people are like, I want to sleep all the way through the night without waking up once. And I'm like, okay, well, it's actually realistic to wake up once, maybe twice a night. Mm -hmm and be up for a little while. It's, it's really when you're up for like 20 or more minutes at a time, then you start to kind of, that's, that can be an issue, but yeah, it is very normal to have those really brief, brief awakenings, um, after each cycle is complete. That makes sense because there's been times where I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or I, maybe I hear Tala moving and I must be at the end of a sleep cycle because I could get up for the rest of the day. I, I feel yeah. refreshed yeah. and it's like midnight, you know, I've probably gotten like three sleep, sleep cycles in already, or I don't know how long I know they're, they're longer in the beginning and then they start to shorten in terms of their cycle length. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So and, that's interesting. Yeah. And you may have actually got, so if you, if you've gotten up at mid, like what time do you usually go to bed? like nine. Okay. So if you've gone to bed at nine, you've probably completed like a big chunk of your deep sleep already. So oh, okay. it, it would make sense. sense that it, you might be kind of like, Hey, I've gone through one really solid cycle of, of deep sleep and I'm, I'm kind of ready, <laughs> so but I'm crazy. glad, I'm glad you go back to bed. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So what about people who they might get up, but then they can't fall back asleep. Cause I know that a lot of people struggle with that. And thankfully I'm just like, Oh, I feel rested, but like, I'm going to shut my eyes and go back to bed and have no problem with it. Yeah. So what do you, what do we say to those people? Yeah, that's a huge problem. That's actually um, probably the number one problem that I, that I hear about from folks, you know, on social and clients. And there are a couple things that could be going on. Um, one thing that might not be as obvious, but um, what can typically happen when somebody jolts awake at 2 a.m. is they could be having a blood sugar crash. And what happens when you have that blood sugar crash is your adrenaline and your, and your cortisol spike up, and that's what wakes you up. Mm. So I'm that one of the reasons why I asked my clients to do like a food journal for a while is I want to see if they are eating for blood sugar balance, because if they're not, I want to make sure that, that we get to get them to the point where they are, they are having better blood sugar balance. Um, and I've done an actual, you know, I've done a couple of CGM experiments with myself. Um, and, um, I've heard of other people doing this as well. And I mean, fortunately I don't have those wake ups at night. Like I have them like, yeah, I wake up real briefly and I'm right back to sleep, but um, a lot of times what people will find is that when they have a CGM and they are uh, waking up at two, they can look at their monitor and see that there was a, a, a blood sugar uh, dip. So yep. that's really great real-time feedback. So I highly encourage anyone who's having like a significant sleep problem, especially that um, 2 a.m. awakening, to look into getting a CGM that they wear for a couple weeks just to see, because that if that's the if that's the issue, it's pretty easily correctable. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I've worn it as well. And it's, it's really great time data. And you, and you can experiment with the meals that you're having at dinner time. Like, are you creating a big spike and then dip to kind of wake you up at two? Or can you have a more balanced meal that sustains you throughout the night? It's really interesting to see. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, I've, I, um, I, I usually try to talk to people about not eating, you know, 
after dinner, like having that three hour window, at least between dinner and bedtime. But sometimes people still need a little teeny snack. So it's just mm-hmm. very, very individual. But when they For do, sure. when they do have that little pre-bedtime snack, you know, I just make sure that it's like light and it's kind of a, a, a balance of fat, carb, and protein. You don't want to like have ice cream. <laughs> you don't want right. to have, have a big chunk of cake because <laughs> exactly. that'll just make it worse. Uh, I agree. I totally agree. Um, okay. So I kind of want to get to some of the questions that were asked, cause this will cover some different topics that I was going to ask on anyway. So I, I sure. pulled my audience, asked some questions or asked them to ask questions on sleep. And so I just kind of want to go through and we can maybe hit on some of them. So Sounds first good. one tips on sleep for nurse working night shifts or any of our night shift workers. Yeah. Well, I feel for these folks because they are doing a huge service for us, um, staying up all night and, you know, it does impact their sleep. So a few things that um, I would suggest if somebody is on on a shift schedule is really try to have consistency in your schedule, even on your off days. Also, um, be very protective of your sleep. So when you designate your sleeping hours, so if you have set your daytime sleeping hours, like really make sure that the people in your family, your close friends are aware of that. Like, because think about this, like no one would call you Haley at like 1am and be like, Hey, I've got like, do you have a second to chat? Like, you'd be like, heck no, I am asleep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the person working the shifts needs to kind of set that expectation up with their friends. Like, these are my sleeping hours. These are the times that I cannot be disturbed. They have to be like really lay down the law. Um, I know sometimes people even go so far as like leave notes on their door to, for their, um, you know, the Amazon delivery person, do not ring the bell um, mm. because you want, really want to protect your sleep. So when you are sleeping, you want to do all of this, the things that you can to block out noise, like um, a noise machine would be great. Um, Having blackout curtains is really good to keep the daylight out, um, having an eye mask. Um, And then while you're on the shift, what you can do is sort of manipulate your light situation. So you can kind of trick your body into being in a more alert state when you expose yourself to bright light during your shift. So keeping that bright light on and then right after your shift is over, you know, getting in dim light. Sometimes people who are leaving their shift in the, in the early morning will wear sunglasses on their way home to suppress that, Mm -hmm. that light. So I think that's a pretty good idea. Um, you can also, if it's allowed like take a really short nap during your shift, just to give yourself like a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of sleep during your work period. And, um, yeah, one thing though, to consider though, um, some people might be able to do this depending on where they work is after their shift ends, like take a little nap on site if, if, if at all mm-hmm. possible, because what, what ends up happening is um, people like in their shift, they drive home and they're really drowsy. Mm-hmm. And so between midnight and 6am is actually one of the most dangerous periods of the day for drowsy driving. And drowsy driving is actually as big of an issue as drunk driving. It's a huge, huge problem. So if, you know, if you're coming off your shift and you're like, I am especially tired right now, um, you know, think about taking that nap if possible. 
So yeah, those are, those are some basic tips. I would say if somebody is doing shift work and they've got more specific questions about their particular issue, there's a book that I have found super helpful um, for shift work folks. It's called uh, The Sleep Fix by Diane Macedo. And Diane is a ABC news correspondent and she was doing the basically shift work for her, her job. And she, you know, she kept, she had insomnia and she was being told by all these doctors, well, you know, to, to get rid of your insomnia, you're going to have to quit your job. And she's like, hell no, I'm not going to quit my job. I love my job. Like I worked hard Mm -hmm. to get this Mm -hmm. position. So she just went on this mission and, and really delved deep and figured out different ways to, to deal with her sleep issues in light of doing shift work. So I would say, take a look at her book for like more specific protocols because it's hard to give protocols here on a podcast. If I don't know, you know, what hours right. someone's working, but like the things that I, you know, mentioned are just sort of like general principles. Right. I, and I agree. And I think that's the case for everything. Like, you know, these are general suggestions, like, because we're all very bio-individual. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, okay. Question. Next question. Why do I always feel half awake during the night? Their mind is going. So I'm assuming they're in between sleep cycles based on what I learned from you, but then their mind is going. What do you have? What do you recommend for that? Yeah. So the busy mind is a, is a very big issue. So if someone is waking up, um, on a regular basis, you know, at 2am, 3am, whatever, uh, one thing that they can try to do to help them get back to sleep. And it, it's not a hundred percent success rate, but it's called the four, seven, eight breathing technique. And it's a breathing technique that was actually developed by Dr. Andrew Weil. Weil, I'm not sure it's W E I L. Mm-hmm. And essentially um, he, he made that, uh, he developed that breathing technique to help people get back to sleep. So how it's done is you inhale through your nose for four counts. You hold the breath for seven And then you exhale through your mouth for eight and you do about, you know, five, six, seven rounds of that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of puts your body in a more parasympathetic state. Um, So that is one, one trick that you could try. Um, I would also suggest though, that if people are waking up and then all of a sudden they are starting to like ruminate and worry about like the next day, if they've got a lot on their mind is doing something in the evening called the constructive worry exercise. And so this is, this has actually been shown to be pretty helpful. It takes about two weeks for it to really take effect. But essentially what you do is you take a piece of paper, you divide it down the middle and you have on the left-hand side column worries and on the right-hand side solutions. So it's basically a brain dump. You start listing your worries and then on the, the solution side, you just address, write down the next step in solving that problem. Even if that means cannot resolve today because it's more ongoing, I need to call so-and-so to, to work this out. And what happens is um, you're basically training your brain to get out all, your, all of your worries before you go to bed so that when you wake up, you, don't, you can actually tell yourself, hey, I've dealt with all my worries. I'm going to resume tomorrow with this worry list if I need to. So that's, that's been pretty helpful for a lot of people. 
Yeah, I love that. That's a yeah. good idea. I tell I love doing that, like brain dumping or like kind of getting whatever your thoughts are just out of the way. Yeah. There's lots of different ways to do it. You could just do a, a journal, you know. The only thing that I would probably suggest is not do it really right right before you get into bed. Yes, do it, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. A lot of my clients like to to um kind of anchor it like after dinner because mm, good idea. Um, you know, when we, when we put that into their protocol, sometimes they're like, well, when do I do this? You know, like it doesn't fit into my, into my flow. And, and we talk yeah. about the habit stacking. So like you could make it part of your habit after dinner, I will do my worry list. And so a lot of people find that to be a, a really good time of day to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it's kind of a really good thing you can habit stack with a nighttime routine. Absolutely. Love it. So, okay, moving on to, or kind of segueing, um, mm-hmm. prioritizing sl- getting restful sleep when, so this person has a baby, their baby's waking up multiple times. I got this question a lot too, just in the past, like, hey, I'm a mom, I can't sleep seven, eight hours. What, what can I do to prioritize the sleep that I am getting? Yeah, that's a really tough position to be in. Well, I would first say to that person, who can you enlist to help you with some of these things? Like, is it, and and figure out what is, what is actually the, the, like, do you have too much on your plate? Like, do you have too many chores? You know, if that's the case, try to, try to get support, like delegate those tasks to somebody. I think that would be probably the first thing I would suggest. But also I think that there's, there's, um, a tendency for moms. It's, it's an actual, it's an actual term I've heard used before. It's called momsomnia. And it's, um, it's basically when, um, moms or parents will be, uh, doing things all day long for either their kids or their job or their spouse. And then they, they have no, they've like left no time in the day to enjoy their pursuits or do mm-hmm. things that relax them. And so what happens is, once everyone is in bed, the family's in bed, they're like, ah, I can do whatever I want. So they'll like start binging Netflix or, or whatever, and, or getting on social media and scrolling, you know, doom scrolling. And um, that ends up really backfiring on them because they end up getting sleep deprived because they're, they're, will, they're essentially willingly doing that to themselves. I mean, they have the opportunity to sleep, but they're actually just saying, screw it. It's sort of like a form of rebellion. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I would suggest for people who kind of fit that profile is to, you know, ha- kind of have a talk with yourself and and uh, and talk to yourself about what are the reasons, what are the reasons why I want to prioritize my sleep, like what are the benefits that I'm getting the next day when I have a good night of sleep, so that they really kind mm-hmm. of get clear on that. And then um, I would say put a timer on your phone at which you will stop like whatever you're doing and, and make your way to bed, like kind of a countdown. Like I must mm-hmm. start doing, like I must start my evening routine, um, getting ready for bed, washing my face, brushing my teeth, doing all those things so that they're not just, you know, going on and on and on with like stuff that is just not promoting their sleep. For sure. Love that. Yeah. Um, kind of going off of that. So optimizing sleep in general, is there any way, that you can improve REM sleep. So for people who wear the trackers, you know, maybe they don't see REM be a big part of their sleep. Is there anything that they can do to improve that particular portion of their sleep? Yeah. 
Well, what I would say about the trackers is that the trackers are notoriously inaccurate for assessing sleep um, stages. So mm. the general th- thought is that like the aura ring and the whoop, they're about 60 to 70% accurate for telling you what sleep stage or how long you're in each sleep, sleep stage. So I always say, take it with a grain of salt, what, what those say, and really look at, judge how you feel in the morning as your barometer of how well you slept. I actually, Love and that. I'm I the did, same way. Yeah. I did a, I did a aura ring data fast for five days a few months ago. And I, um, because I just, I wanted to see what would happen because I'm one of those people I get up in the morning, the score is the first thing I check. Fortunately, yeah. I'm like, I have a pretty good mindset about sleep. And so I don't freak out if I see the score bad, if, as long as I'm feeling good. Um, so I, if someone is getting too wrapped up in their um, score, I would say, you know, put it on airplane mode and maybe check your score every week. So to look at the, tr- you want to look at the trends over time, not each day's headline, essentially. Love it. That's very doable. Yeah. So there's nothing really we can do in particular, like if someone's not feeling rested or they're not go- like, is, are people not potentially going through sleep cycles or is that more just, do you think a tracker issue? Well, you know, there, there definitely could be issues with people not getting enough of a sleep stage and there's no, so my fix to that is essentially following a bunch of the word sleep hygiene. I don't like that word, but like, I I like to use the word sleep health, but because everyone knows what sleep hygiene is, I would probably very, very closely follow like the regular sleep hygiene rules, Mm -hmm. because if you are following those, you're more likely to get a a decent quantity of sleep. And the way to increase the different phases of sleep is to increase your quantity because you have more of a chance of of hitting those um, REM and deep targets if you have more quantity. Mm-hmm. But the, the funny thing is, is that once, once we have like, we can prep ourselves for, for, we can set the stage for a good night's sleep. That's really all we can do. When we, when our head hits the pillow and we go to sleep, it's kind of up to our brain what mm-hmm. it's going to do in those sleep stages. Um, if somebody is having, you know, chronic issues where like, they're literally, they, they feel like their, their timing is like, they're getting seven, eight, nine hours of sleep every night and they are not feeling rested. I would definitely seek out some help because that could mean, that could mean, um, possible sleep apnea, hormonal, hormonal. A lot of women, um, don't fit the criteria that's like, kind of that stereotypical criteria of someone who has sleep apnea, you usually think of mm-hmm. like a Homer Simpson, middle-aged mm-hmm. guy with a belly, you know, snoring. You think of that person with sleep apnea, but um, as women get into menopause, the sleep apnea rates almost match that of men. So when women have sleep apnea, they typically present as depressed. So they get prescribed an antidepressant. They, um, they present like very, very differently. They don't, sometimes they don't even snore like a, like a typical person would that you would think of having sleep apnea. So I would definitely get screened for sleep apnea if you are never refreshed in the morning for sure. And, um, a sleep study is actually a pretty useful tool because, um, 
there's well a couple of different sleep studies. There's a sleep study where you're only measuring your breathing, which I think is a good first step. But then there's also sleep studies where you go in, it's called polysomnography and they're hooking electrodes up to you. And um, sometimes those can be useful because they're, I mean, it's not super, um, it's not super like common, but sometimes people are not able to get into like a deep phase for very long. And so they are chronically um, shorted of their deep or REM sleep. So mm. a polysomnography can accurately, can pretty accurately tell um, if that person's not getting into those phases. Whereas like an aura ring, like I said before, isn't really gonna, it'll give you an idea, but it's not gonna like give you an accurate picture. Right. One day, now one day we're gonna see the technology change. I mean, it's already, there's already a lot of, um, I mean, sleep technology is, is a booming industry and we're going to see a lot more accuracy. If we, if we talk in five years and we do it a part two, we're going to see like sleep trackers that I think are like basically like sleep studies in lab. Oh, I, I, I for sure believe that we could see that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, I, there's there so many questions. Um, Next, I really wanted to kind of talk about melatonin because I got a lot of questions on melatonin. I personally see melatonin as a Band-Aid. I'm very cautious to supplement with melatonin because it is a hormone. It's not just a nutrient. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. I think a lot of people use it to... I think a lot of people use it. They want to know dosing. They want they want all these things. And I'm like, oh gosh, that is like not even close to my first thought. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a very nuanced topic and I, and my, my thoughts and feelings change on it from day to day. <laughs> so I'll kind of give you the, the, the kind of the range of, of what I'm hearing. So sure. um, what the sleep scientists and the sleep experts uh, are generally saying is that melatonin is um, not a, 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 it's not a sleeping pill point blank. It's, it doesn't help make you sleepy it's really a sleeping, a sleep timer. It kind of gives your brain a dose of sunlight. So it can be useful in, in situations where someone has a circadian rhythm disorder and you're trying to shift their uh, sleep timing. And there's certain protocols to do that. There's a specific, you know, way to, to go about that. And it's kind of, you're kind of on a schedule and you're, you're looking very closely at dosages. Um, but the flips, the, here's the interesting part though, is that when they did a study on melatonin off the shelf, they like just went rent to random stores. They found a very, very wide uh, variance in the amount of melatonin that was advertised in it. So it was like wide variances and that's not good. So if anyone feels compelled to take an, a, a melatonin, they really should be looking for one that is USP certified. And USP certified basically means that what is advertised on the bottle has been tested so that you know you're getting this amount of milligrams. And so the general consensus is that you want to start low if you're going to um, take melatonin, like 0.5 milligrams to mm-hmm. one milligram. And frankly, these, um, these small dosages are kind of hard to find. In fact, right. if you go to a drugstore or wherever, you're, you're really going to see like three milligrams and up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, here's just a whole another thing to kind of like joggle, you know, jangle your brain up. There is a physician named Dr. John Lawrence. He's a naturopath or a chiropractor or maybe both. 
But anyway, he has some extremely fascinating um, information on melatonin. He has a book out called The Melatonin Miracle. And he's been on a few podcasts that I've listened to. And his, his take on melatonin is that it's extremely safe, even in very, very high doses. I mean, he's done tests on himself where he's taking like hundreds of milligrams and he stops and he doesn't have any withdrawal at all because his, his claim is that unlike uh, testosterone and estrogen, when you give yourself mel exogenous melatonin, your body still keeps making it versus with the other hormones, you, you, your production stops if you're given an exogenous uh, source. And he looks at melatonin as an incredible antioxidant, um, often used in cancer treatment. In fact, I was actually given high dose melatonin during my cancer journey. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that's a really, really common thing, especially for breast cancer. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, it's a very nuanced topic. And so I think there's a, a, a beauty in melatonin and that's, I think we're going to hear a lot more about it in the coming years. Um, especially if people start listening to this doctor, Dr. John Lalance. But for your average person listening to this podcast, I would say proceed with caution, you know, because um, if you, I don't think it's hard. I don't, I really do, do not think the melatonin is going to be harmful. I think probably the worst that could happen is that you will feel groggy if you take it too late and you have too high of a dose. That's probably the worst case scenario, but um if you are looking at it as a sleeping pill, it's, it's not going to, to do it for you. Um, on the other hand though, there is the placebo effect. And so yeah. some people are taking it and they are literally getting that placebo effect from it. So, you know, it's kind of like, is that good or bad? I'm not really sure. You know, it's not harmful, but they think they're getting to sleep because of it. They might not be. Right. No, I totally so, agree. It's a big topic. Um, it's a to, very hot topic, actually. Yes, <laughs> I know. I know. And it's, I never know really how to fully answer it. Yeah. Um, okay. To kind of wrap up, I would love for you to say like your biggest, your top three sleep tips, whether it's sleep hygiene, foods you love, herbs you love, whatever, so that people can really start optimizing their sleep. Okay. I've got a few. Okay. So First thing I'll say, and I think that you're going to agree with this because I think I've seen you talk about this before, but I think it bears repeating because I don't think enough people, people know about it, enough people know about it yet. So it's um, getting morning sunlight in your eyes within like an hour mm -hmm. of waking up. Like I have personally seen the benefits of this. My clients are like, wow, this is a game changer and it's free. Like it, it's, it's pretty amazing. So um, the protocol is essentially, you know, as soon as you can, when the sun is out, go outside. You, you can't wear your sunglasses. That's a big mistake. Um, right. because when I go walk my dog in the morning and I see all the other, you know, women on in the, I'm sure you see the see they're wearing their sunglasses and I'm like, and their hats and I'm like, damn it. You're, you're just like, you, you don't need those you're glasses. Ruining it. You're, ruining it. you're ruining the process. So what happens is your, 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 uh, retina needs to, that sunlight needs to hit your retina. When that happens, it sends a signal to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your circadian pacemaker, at which point all of the, the hormones, the melatonin, the serotonin, the cortisol, those hormones kind of fall into balance throughout the rest of the day. So it really helps with that hormone balance. And you only yeah. really need to be out there for like 15 minutes. Yeah, um, it's, it's really not a big ask. No, it's not. And if it's, if it's raining, you know, maybe just sit on your stoop 
you know? Um, so that is, that's a big one. I would say also, um, regularity, uh, with wake up time, I think is really important waking up at the same time every morning, regardless of even for the weekends. Exactly. Now there is a little bit of leeway that I feel like it's, you've got, I think about an hour of leeway, um, on the weekend. If you, I mean, I, I allow myself that sometimes because I might, I might get sucked into Netflix until 10. Yeah, exactly. Um, No, I totally hear you. And so, um, but our bodies really crave that regularity, um, for our sleep patterns to, to really keep our circadian rhythm strong. And what, what happens is if, is you, if you wake up every morning at around the same time, you're very likely to get sleepy at the same, same time every night. So it, so you fall into a really, really regular pattern of a sleep wake, wake cycle. And I would say the third tip that, and I think you're really going to like cheer for this one because I've seen your reels. (laughs) I know how you roll, um, is exercise. Um, getting daily, daily movement is so important because when we are moving throughout the day, not only just like a workout, but like neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Mm -hmm. Do I have that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, is having that movement throughout the day it actually um, helps with your sleep drive. It increases your sleep drive throughout the day. So you want a healthy sleep drive by the time you go to bed and um, exercise is a great way to do it. In fact, um, I saw a study recently and I think they need to look at this more in depth, but it suggested that strength training could be more sleep promoting than cardio. I believe that. So I think you'll like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like totally that. believe that. Um, so yeah, just just keeping your body moving. Um, I've I noticed personally. I mean, I, I work out pretty much six days a week, um, and on like on the random day that I'm just like not moving, like I'm not really moving my body at all. It's it's sometimes hard to be get sleepy for me. I agree, and and it doesn't have to be crazy. You don't have to go out and just you know kill yourself with exercise. No. Like even when I hit my, like I try to hit 10,000 steps a day and, and during this time of year, it's easily done. And even on a, an off day that neat, you know, I'm cleaning the house, I'm moving or out and about throughout maybe calls that I'm doing or whatever. I mean, that in itself, I think makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are, those are my three main tips. There are more, but, um, I think those are some really good ones. You get a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, I agree. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect with you, where they can learn more? Sure. So my website is morganadamswellness.com. I offer a six-week sleep coaching package, which is a one-to-one customized um, program for women. And if you want to do like a complimentary clarity call, you can sign up on my website for that. I also do a fair amount of content on Instagram, which is where I met you, Haley. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so my handle is morganadams.wellness. And yeah, that's, I'm, I love it when people reach out and ask questions and I just love to engage people and just really help people get a better night's sleep is kind of, kind of my thing. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, it was so nice chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on and share all of your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you. I know that people are going to walk away with some really great tangible information that they can start implementing if this is something they struggle with, or even if it's something they want to improve. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you.